Hi, I'm Valerie, and this is episode 193 of The Beauty Brains. The Beauty Brains, a show where real scientists answer your beauty questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty product industry. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is my co-host, Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello, Valerie. On today's episode, we're going to be answering your beauty questions about yeast infection medicine to treat hair loss. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that one. All right. Is, it, is an organic facial mask worth buying? And what's the deal with mineral oil? Is it bad, good, or indifferent? Well, Perry, how have you been this week? I feel like we haven't had a chance to catch up. We've had a little bit between episodes. I know we've both had a bunch going on. It's been a busy summer. Uh, I was traveling last week. I went to Pittsburgh, and this week I went to Milwaukee. So such great cities, you know? And I think you're off uh, somewhere next week, right? San Francisco next weekend, then Orlando the weekend after that, then then I'm going to Milan. Oh my God! And then a couple weeks after that, California. That's right, California. Yeah, wow. pretty much you're basically going to miss fall in Chicago. You know what I'm also missing though? Um, I I planted a garden at, in the springtime. You know, I like to garden a little bit, um, and I'm growing all of this kale. Do you like kale? I do. I do. I'm living in California. It should be California. <laughs> well, I did not know that I like kale, but I was doing that, uh, one of those meal services, Blue Apron or something like that. Mm-hmm. Although this isn't a plug for Blue Apron, but Blue Apron did get me to eat kale, which I never ate before. Anyway, so I had this, I get all this extra kale, and I put kale in everything. I put kale in, you know, salads, on hot dogs, in omelets. I made a kale pizza. Kale hot dog? Yeah. Oh, okay. it, it, it works very well for that. It must be but, a Chicago thing. Keep going. I, I think it's more of a Perry thing because my wife looks at me and she's like, what is that? It's one way to make a hot dog healthy, I guess. So I took this kale that I harvested from my, you know, urban garden and I wash it and then I put it into a bowl and I put pizza sauce on top because I don't like salad dressing, but I'll eat pizza sauce. Anyway, so I'm eating this thing and I see this little little black thing which i thought was a peppercorn mm-hmm. and i sort of pu- i sort of pushed it off to the side and then it started crawling up the side of my bowl <laughs> turns out it was like a garden slug that's not a piece of like that was like a baby baby slug oh then, yeah because you said it looked like black peppercorn yeah no it was it was a baby slug i mean i and then i i, I let him go outside but because i don't really like to kill anything but uh i gotta say it did make the salad a little less appetizing you could have eaten that you probably did eat one you probably I, ate I like his siblings think, <laughs> i like to think that i don't harm animals while eating my organic kale salads Oh, gosh. Well, I do have one tasty treat for you. I can send you my recipe for kale chips that you make in the oven. They're very good. Oh, sounds wonderful. Speaking of wonderful, why don't we get to the beauty news? This week, I noticed online that Walmart launched a new range of clean beauty products. Oh, my God. (laughs) Called Earth to Skin. 
like a little alien. I'm just kidding. Oh, Earth to skin. <laughs> oh, I get it. <laughs> the brand promises that nearly 30 products, all at a cost of $10 or less, will be free of parabens, phthalates, petrolatum, mineral oil, sulfates, gluten, or animal testing. Wow, that's uh, so uh, redundant <laughs> or uh, so so unique, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so I think this is their attempt to create a clean beauty list. So they have these lists of ingredients that meet their Walmart clean beauty standard, even though surely they'll continue to sell products that contain sulfates, mineral oil, petrolatum, parabens, and gluten, because that would be a majority of the brands that they carry. But this is definitely not a unique concept. I I think, though, it does speak to the new norm that is going to happen, where Clean beauty is defined by the retailer itself. And what's even more interesting is can this continue to gain momentum and the retailers are determining what our beauty regulation is? That's why I thought this article was interesting. Yeah, well, Walmart represents a huge portion of the offline sales of beauty products. In fact, when I worked at Alberto Culver, 40% of our sales were made through Walmart. Yeah, it's where I tend to get some of my toiletries as well. There's one right across the street from where I work, where our lab is. So if I'm not getting it from Amazon or I don't already have a huge pile from other avenues, you know, I'm picking some up there at lunchtime. And yeah, it's the big mass brands like Jergens, Tresemme, Pantene. I think Pantene's a great shampoo, by the way. Um, yeah, and, uh, and a company like Walmart coming out with this clean list you know that just says to me that uh the trend of clean beauty has kind of jumped the shark i mean it's not like brands can use this to differentiate themselves anymore because now everyone says they're clean yeah it's whatever your definition is and i think that's great of walmart to curate such a affordable collection for people because it shows that Clean beauty can be affordable to anyone. I think it also shows that just because it's cleaned up, it doesn't have to be expensive. But on the other hand, I haven't seen the formulas yet. Just because it's clean doesn't mean that the products are great or perform well. They are just don't contain these things. So I think that's something uh, to, to watch for. And I think the products are really cute. I will say that. So I think I am going to go check them out. I think they uh, will make excellent if you've seen on Instagram, um, a lot of the influencers do these dupes where they, you know, have this really expensive product and mm-hmm. then a more economic product and they use them against each other and say, yes, this is a great duplication. I will say Walmart was very inspired by a K-Beauty brand. I won't say who it is, uh, but if you take one look at their products, uh, it's pretty much evident they copied literally their whole product line. So. Well, that's kind of that's kind of how store brands are. If you go to Walgreens, uh, you'll see you'll see like the Pantene, and then right next to it is the the Walgreen, which looks <laughs> yeah pretty similar. <laughs> Earth to skin, we copied. Beep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just and, kidding. It's, so these these are called uh, uh God, what's the term for these kinds of brands? store not store brands, but private label. These are like private label products. Exactly. Yeah. Pretty much, you just take a good selling brand, you kind of knock it off, you make your store brand look kind of like theirs, and you make it a dollar cheaper. Well, I think this one is several dollars cheaper, at least half the price, but I'm going to give the products a fair chance and see how they perform. I think it's great that they are, are trying to cater to people who, you know, like clean beauty. So, 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be perfectly fine and functional products. Although, if you're not using petrol atom and mineral oil, I wonder how good a skin moisturizer is going to be. We'll see. Well, you know, I saw a story which uh, I, we've been meaning to talk about. The title of this one was from Happy, and it was like, A, a Wind for the Little Guy? And it's a story about L'Oreal losing a court case against little guy Olaplex. Olaplex claimed that L'Oreal took some of their trade secrets and uh, some of their re- and infringed on some of their related patents. And the jury I- indeed said L'Oreal had done that and that they awarded Olaplex $91 million for damages. On top of that, Perry, they announced just a couple days later that an injunction was filed against L'Oreal and they cannot sell the products that they created in any of their brands, not just L'Oreal, but Matrix, Redken, et cetera, because those also use the technology they have allegedly infringed upon. So they have to cease selling those products immediately. Ouch. So you're you're a little bit more briefed on this area. So what is the product that L'Oreal had sort of done as a knockoff of the Olaplex technology? They have several bond builders in the Mm -hmm. whole L'Oreal family. So L'Oreal is a prestige brand in the professional sector. And then they have Redken and then they have Matrix in another tier. And all of those categories have their own Olaplex type bond builder. And as of this uh, court case and the decision, they have an injunction file against them, meaning they can't continue to sell products with that technology. Honestly, I've never really seen what the big deal about Olaplex was, but you know, I, you read on the internet, stylists seem to love it. Uh, but it's not surprising to me that a company like L'Oreal would lose a court case because you know I'm sure juries are not like scientifically savvy and they could probably be pretty easily swayed by the story of a little guy getting beat up by a big company like L'Oreal and uh, I don't I don't really I don't really know the merits of whether the the suit was valid or not but uh, L'Oreal is certainly going to appeal this decision and I bet eventually they'll probably settle for probably a bit less than 91 million dollars well we'll see what happens I have my own personal opinions not related to any opinions of my employer I must say based on the science of how Olaplex claims it works versus how I think it actually works. And maybe it would be something really fun to cover on another show. Yeah, I think uh, we've actually got a couple of questions about Olaplex. And so uh, maybe we do a future Olaplex show if we get enough uh, audience requests. Cool. Well, let's tell our loyal listeners about a recall that's coming up another recall another one but this one actually i'll say it's a good one it's not because of any bacterial contamination but walita a skincare company founded in 1921 has recalled a product that's produced in two sizes and is part of one kit because they realize that specific ingredients they used do not appear in the ingredient listing of the labels for their products so they have promptly announced a recall the product is Walita Comforting Baby Oil in 6.8 fluid ounces, the travel size 0.34 fluid ounces, and the baby starter kit. Uh, interesting. So it's their baby oils? Did they forget to include mineral oil or something? 
which is a great oil for babies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that. you guys are seeing we have a mineral oil themed show here. Uh, it seems like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but just to let our audience know, the FDA actually has no authority under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act to order a recall of a cosmetic, but they can request that a firm recalls it. So I don't know in this case if the FDA said, "Hey, we'll need to recall your product." or if Willita took it upon their own initiative to recall it themselves, um, but the FDA can't force anyone to do it. Once the brand does make a decision to recall the product, the FDA gets involved, however, and they oversee the progress of the recall and ensure destroyal of any compromised product. You yourself can monitor FDA recalls for food, drugs, and cosmetics at the FDA website. But we do this segment so you don't have to. (laughs) Well, it's actually, well, we do, we just do the cosmetics recalls. There's actually some really interesting food recalls. And I, I think I told you the story one time, Perry, how I had eaten a whole jar of peanut butter and I just happened to go to the FDA website and I saw that I had uh, peanut butter that was supposed to be recalled and the lot number. Oops. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, still yeah. alive, but you never know when, when it's a little too dangerous. So yeah, make, that, make that sure you check point. the website out. I should say that while it is true that the FDA doesn't have authority to force a company to recall, if you're a company and you get a letter from the FDA saying you should recall, you pretty much are going to recall it, especially if you're a sizable company. Yeah, they could make life not really fun for you. Exactly. Yeah. And we do have a couple clarifications and follow-ups from previous episodes on the last episode. That's right. We did a whole bunch of kitchen chemistry, and that... uh... That spurred a lot of uh, a lot of comments from the audience. Yeah, so our kitchen chemistry series, if you're not familiar, is basically a bunch of beauty hacks that we find on the internet, and Perry and I pretty much just laugh at them uh, because <laughs> it's it's just interesting what people do at home, and it well, ca- can and, be and, safe, and, cannot be safe, or it could just be ridiculous. And we it's not just laughing though. We do kind of look at it, see whether it's. There's this could work or couldn't work or whether it's worth trying. Yeah. So essentially in the last series, uh, I had watched a handful of videos that sort of progressed with each kitchen chemistry hack one over the other. And they had formulated this recipe to make your own waxing sugar scrub. And after they had ripped it off of the legs, the legs were severely red and bumpy and inflamed looking. And then the next uh, kitchen chemistry type hack was a homemade soothing potion to get rid of the irritation and red bumps. And I had thought it was just sort of funny in that way that someone would make a, a sugar scrub that left the legs looking um, irritated with all these red bumps. And then now they have to make another thing to get rid of them. We did receive an email from a loyal follower that said they were surprised to see us including DIY sugaring waxing basis as a dangerous home product. And I guess my point is we didn't include it because it's dangerous we just thought it was interesting or funny that uh, it did cause leg irritation. And then the next beauty hack had to fix the previous beauty hack that was done. So it was an excellent question. Uh, people can do this at home. I'm sure some people do it at home. And I'm sure other people prefer to have it done at a professional waxing salon. Yeah, it was just more ironic than dangerous. Yeah, yeah. yeah, not dangerous. It could be dangerous, I guess, depending on what you're waxing or what you put in it if you don't know what you're doing. But I suppose if you are seasoned in waxing and are comfortable doing that to yourself and can tolerate the own pain that you inflict, uh, more power <laughs> to you. I can't. <laughs> it, it can also be dangerous if you're doing it in a room full of ants. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
you know, Valerie, we also had a follow-up to one of our questions in episode 187. Um, one of the listeners, Stephanie, said, uh, Hi, hope all is well. I was just listening to your recent episode on natural ingredients for hair and skin. Uh, I just started listening to you guys, and you're amazing. Uh, actually, I just wanted to read this set because they said that. <laughs> Uh, but then Stephanie says, I have a question concerning deodorant. You mentioned several times in the podcast that aluminum isn't used in deodorant. However, when I see the ingredient aluminum zirconium tetrachlorohydrex listed as an active ingredient in my suave deodorant, uh, what does that mean? I think that's actually a pretty common question. And maybe this notation here is exactly how the myth that aluminum is in deodorants gets perpetuated. Yeah, and actually I looked up the Suave website and I'm looking at they have the Suave Invisible uh, Solid Deodorant. And so you think this is a deodorant, but if you look at the bottom, it says an antiperspirant deodorant. And so I think that's where kind of the confusion comes in, right? I think that's one of the confusions, but the other confusion is she sees this aluminum salt and immediately assumes, assumes aluminum. Well, this is actually pretty easy to explain, and you're right, Valerie. Aluminum zirconium tetrachlorohydrex is not the same as aluminum, but I think consumers, when they see the word aluminum, they're like, ah, there's aluminum and there's a deodorant. What's the deal here? So here's here's the deal for this. A product like Suave, if you look on the container, it says Suave, and if you look at the bottom, it says antiperspirant deodorant. And so when I made the claim that deodorants don't include aluminum they don't include aluminum uh, uh, and i'm specifically talking about products that are just deodorants if a product is an antiperspirant slash deodorant so if you see the word antiperspirant on there antiperspirants specifically are products that will stop sweating and so those are products that will have aluminum aluminum salts in it so aluminum zirconium tetrachlorohydrex that if you see aluminum in a product, that that means the product, not only is it a deodorant, so it's going to stop odor, but it's also an antiperspirant. There are products that are sold that are just deodorants. They don't stop sweating, so they're not antiperspirants. And deodorants are cosmetics themselves. Antiperspirant deodorants are uh, actually over-the-counter drugs. Antiperspirants contain uh, the aluminum salts. Deodorants do not contain those. So that's that's a little confusing, I suppose, but that's that's what I meant. And so deodorants still, as long as they're not antiperspirants, they don't contain aluminum salts. Thanks so much for that, Perry. Let's move on to our beauty questions. Grace says, I normally only buy Paula's Choice products, but got a facial as a treat recently. You deserve it, Grace. And was talked into this product by the esthetician. The product is Eminence Organics Skincare Mask. Are there any redeeming qualities in this product, or could it potentially be hurting my skin because of the essential oils? I have seen no irritation. I've been using it once a week just on blind faith. I realize products and jars are unstable, so I keep it in its box when I'm not using it. Thanks for that question, um, and thanks also for the pictures that she sent along in the email. It's always helpful to get the ingredient list of products so we can give a thorough evaluation if we can't find uh, the the inner uh, the ingredient list on the internet, which sometimes happens, you know. It does. It does. 
Valerie and I uh, probably have a different opinion of this. Is now I, I should start out by saying I've never used this product, and I maybe I've seen it before in the stores, but I you know it's not a product I'm familiar with. Well, you've never seen it in the stores, and unless you go to spas, you will never have seen it. Eminence Organic Skincare is a a professional esthetician spa brand. Ah, got are you familiar it. with it? Uh, maybe I saw it at a trade show or something then. Uh, yeah, or maybe, I, I, I'm sure you've seen it like in a industry magazine or something like that. They tend to advertise heavily there. So exactly. the actual product is the Eight Greens Phyto Mask. I've actually used this mask and I actually use their products. I don't know if any of you guys have ever wondered what's in my bathroom. Eminence Organic Skincare is one of them. And it actually, Perry, probably has nothing to do with the reasons I'm going to guess why you uh, don't like this product, but... I actually really like it. Uh, as far as I whether I whether I like it or not, um, I, I I don't I haven't really used the product, so I don't know. But let me just give you my opinion of what I do know about it. Now I looked at the product and the pictures that she sent, and honestly, it's it's difficult to tell whether this product has any of the redeeming qualities that she asked about. But there are <laughs> there are a number of things that make me suspicious of of this specific product. So first. They don't follow the proper ingredient naming rules, which really bugs me. So they'll have a they have in their ingredient list they have a phrase like organic nutrient blend. That's not an INCI name, and it doesn't belong in the ingredient list. It, to me, it kind of obscures the ingredient list, and they're trying to use the ingredient list for marketing, which it, to me is a thing that you're not supposed to do uh, if you're following the rules of the cosmetic industry. And I think it's confusing to consumers. Ingredient lists are supposed to be for people to identify whether an ingredient is in there that might cause them problems on their skin. And when you put all this marketing gobbledygook in there, it just makes it hard for consumers. And I do worry that if a company is so careless with making their product labels and they're not going to follow the rules, what else are they skimping on? Are they not doing safety testing? Um, are they not following other rules? So that, for me, is one of the things that would make me worry about this product. So if you look very closely at the ingredient listing, this always got me, too, when I first looked at it. They, Yes, they do use their blend terminology, but they also break down the blends. And I think that's where it gets confusing because they'll say organic phytonutrient blend, and then they'll go on to list like the literal 40 ingredients that are part of this blend. And then they'll go on to the second ingredient added. So it is a little, it's not a little, it's very confusing. I do think that this company is um, pretty reputable. They also have some OTC drug products that they, they're in compliant with. So misleading, yes, but I, I do think they, they are doing a lot of the right things. I, I've used these products for um, over eight years. So I, I will say yeah. I'm more familiar, but if you were using it for the first time, um, and just like you looked at it for the first time, Perry, you're like, wait, what? It's right. it's kind of like marketing garbage. Yeah, that's the kind of that's just kind of thing that bugs me, uh, and it makes me suspicious of the company. But another issue that I have is that the the product is also filled with dozens and dozens of ingredients, and that you're explaining that that they sort of spell out what they're organic nutrient blend is kind of explains that but 
in my opinion, it's hard enough to demonstrate that any single ingredient is going to do anything good for your skin. But then when you throw a bunch of natural ingredients together, you, you really have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, do the ingredients interfere with each other? Are they going to make each other work better? Are they going to cause problems? Are they going to keep working? You know, to me, when you're formulating, it's always better to stick with a minimum number of ingredients Companies that throw a bunch of things together and they do that, it, to me, that's just doing it for marketing purposes. Uh, there's no scientific reason that you would mix yucca, flaxseed, lavender, horsetail, <laughs> red clover, and all the other there dozens of ingredients in there. It just kind of seems to me they're throwing everything but the kitchen sink in there. Yeah, I think some of it has to do with the cosmetic labeling where, you know, when anytime a brand has all those preservatives in there, I think they're listing all the sub preservatives within all of their ingredients. Um, Even though I do like the products, I mean, it is ridiculous. I don't even look at the ingredient listings when I pick it up because I just know it's like a bunch of extracts and stuff in there and nothing is really the substance. And so I really have to rely on the performance of the product. Um, for these. So just, if you're going to buy it, don't look at the ingredients. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, don't buy it for the ingredients. Uh, and actually, she's she mentioned about the jar, and I know Paula's Choice, they make this big deal about jars being so bad, but in, in reality, I think, I don't really have an issue with jar packaging. I mean, I suppose if the, if the preservative system is sketchy, then you'd want to avoid jars. Actually, you just want to avoid the product anyway, but you could make a perfectly fine working product that is in a jar. So I, I don't exactly agree with the, the Paula's Choice uh, advice to stick, stay away from jars completely. Yeah, if the product's properly preserved, you're going to be fine. Um, also with the Eminence products, they provide a little plastic spoon for every product that does come in a jar so that you don't have to put your fingers in. You just uh, use the little spatula spoon thingy, scoop product up, place it onto your palm, and then you're ready to go. Now, having said all that, you know, if you've used the product and you haven't had any irritation issues, it's it's probably fine for you. Uh, you're not going to get much benefit, I, I think, beyond skin moisturizing or having a, just a fun experience. But it really isn't that what cosmetics are all about. Yeah, you know, you might maybe get some sort of irritation in the future because there's so many different ingredients and so many possibilities. But if you like it, you know, I don't think you're any more duped than, you know, any other kind of product. I don't know. I agree. Don't feel duped at all. So... Okay, ignore the ingredient blends, make sure that you're using the spoon. And as Perry said, if you're really enjoying the product use, keep on using it. I will, I'm not sponsored by this company, but I'll tell you guys why I like them. So honestly, first and foremost, it reminds me of being at the the spa and getting a facial. And that's such a relaxing experience. It's something I really look forward to every time I do it. And so for me to use the product at home and to experience the same fragrances, I'm like, wow, this feels really, really, really good. And I want to keep that experience perpetuating in the privacy of my own home. The second reason I really like these products is because they really go a long way. So they seem kind of pricey. um, And for most people, they probably are expensive. But a lot of the jar products you use and you dilute with water in your hand to uh, help thin it out and spread it out. And if you're even using them regularly, uh, they really do last you a couple months. You can keep them in your refrigerator if you're worried about the preservation system and the jar aspect and the stability. Last but not least, 
I think the performance with the extracts, is it really doing what it says it's doing? No, but half the battle of having great skin is having a routine. And when you're able to use products you're enjoying, use them in a way that makes you feel great, having that routine is half the battle of getting the product performance. So don't feel duped. If you love it, keep using it. And if you hate it, um, you can mail it to me. I'll give you my mailing address. (laughs) Clearly no irritations issues for you. No, not at all. And the only irritation issues for me is that they're not following the rules, damn it. (laughs) Perry has no physical irritations, just emotional irritations. I guess that counts too, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right, next question. Oh, it's an audio question. Yay. Hey, Beauty Brains. It's Janelle from New Jersey, and I have a question on a hair tip I recently heard about. So I heard that putting Monistat or uh, yeast infection uh, medication on your scalp makes your hair grow. Um, I'm a little doubtful of this uh, tip that it actually works, but I just want to confirm that it indeed does not work. And um, I just want to know if you would have any idea how this tip or this tip came about or if there's any logic to it. Thank you. And I really enjoy the show. Okay, Janelli, thank you so much for that question. Oh, I thought I heard a lot of things, and I I was really surprised to hear this one. I don't know what you thought, Perry. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I was too. I'm, I was uh, very interested to see where this one goes. Yeah, there's one thing I've learned being in the hair industry is that people will do anything if it means their hair can grow back. That is for sure. Yeah, for sure. And that's really a problem that we really haven't solved in the cosmetic industry. There's there's really not good solutions to hair loss. No, and I think we can put our resources to it if we needed to. Um, I actually had a really nice discussion with my teammates in my lab about this. We read a really great book called Hair by Kurt Sten. And it's just really hair science is really a new field in the grand scheme of things. So hopefully there'll be some effective treatments and advances in scientific research moving forward if we have more resources on it. But let's talk about monostat. So for those of you who don't know, which Perry, maybe you do or don't know, I don't know. I'm a little bit familiar with the product, although not having having used it. (laughs) Okay. Monostat is the brand name for a drug that is responsible for yeast infection treatment in women and can be purchased at any drugstore simply by the name monostat. While most famous for yeast infection treatments, the Monistat brand also offers other vaginal and feminine care products from itch relief to cooling cloths and all the way to refreshing gels. So while these may not contain the actual drug Monistat, they are all related to feminine health. A little history, until 1990, topical products for yeast infection treatment were only available by prescription, so you had to go to your doctor and get a prescription for them. In 1990, an advisory committee met with the FDA and recommended that women who have had a yeast infection diagnosed by a doctor can adequately treat, self-treat their condition, and the first seven-day intravaginal drug came to the market. Then, later that year, in 1990, the first three-day treatment came to the market, and in 1997, the first single-dose treatment for yeast infections launched. Ah, interesting. Now, Monistat's just a brand name. The actual drug name for the active drug ingredient in monistat is meconazole, which is intended to be applied inside the vagina. For vaginal creams, the cream is typically comprised of 2% of meconazole, with each dose being delivered is 100 milligrams. 
It's an antifungal used to treat other skin infections involving fungus as well, like diaper rash, jock itch, ringworm. I should probably try this on my feet. I seem to have developed some sort of fungal friend on there. Well, it could work, but I, I would ask your doctor first. Um. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess I should just see what specifically is for athlete's foot, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you may be asking, what does fungus have to do with the vagina and yeast infections? That is a good so, question. Yeah, so yeast is actually a fungus when we classify cellular organisms in terms of are they animal cells or plant cells? Yeast um, actually is neither of those. It's an actual fungus. It's a unicellular organism. And the overgrowth of yeast in the vagina is what we call yeast infection. Yay! In order... <laughs> no, no yays. No, oh, no, 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 boo, boo. <laughs> boo, yeah. Yeast is a fungus, and therefore the overgrowth of the yeast. Now, in order to get rid of the yeast, you have to stop the growing of the yeast, and that is done with a drug like meconazole. It works via imidazole chemistry, which is a chemistry common in antifungal drug treatments. In fact, some preservatives and cosmetics use imidazole chemistry to prevent the growth of yeast in their cosmetic products. This chemistry prevents the fungi from being able to build their cell membranes, and when the cell membranes can't be built, they, they die. No more microbes. That's where you say yay, Perry. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> so why in the world are people using it for hair loss treatment? I, w I was really scratching my head on this one. Guys, this is what I spent all Saturday morning looking into. So oh. it turns out using meconazole to treat hair loss is something that is actually all over the internet. And there's no scientific evidence. That's surprising. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, people already knew about this. Um, but there's actually not really any scientific evidence that using monostat in this way will help your hair regrow. Also uh, not surprising. So why do you think people are doing this? Like, who, who stumbled on this? They're like, hey, this looks like some cream. Let me just put it on my head. Well, hair loss can occur for several reasons. I think we've covered a lot of them on the show. But just to recap, stress, rapid changes in hormone levels, side effects of drugs, not street drugs but like medicinal drugs <laughs> right, right. and autoimmune disease called alopecia areata other medical illnesses or nutritional deficiencies chemical treatments or severe pulling on the hair causing the hair to break off or to be pulled out androgenetic alopecia which is commonly known as hereditary baldness and one other reason is a disorder called tinea capitis i am probably pronouncing that wrong which is patchy hair loss due to fungal infection of the scalp. Ah, However, in this case, you don't put monostat on your head to treat it. You are prescribed an oral antifungal drug. Ah, okay. Well, I guess that ex kind of explains where that would come from. Yeah. So I did read, remember I mentioned that typically antifungals are based on imidazole chemistry? Yes. I did read about one imidazole drug called ketoconazole that has had studies performed on it to see if it could treat tinea capitis, which is that patchy hair loss I talked about. For topical treatment. Exactly. It's typically not prescribed for this because there's not enough safety data to support use of this drug topically in that manner. But there have been studies that show it's effective in treating seborrheic dermatitis and dandruff. In 1998, a study was performed to see if it could improve alopecia compared to nothing and then compared to minoxidil. And in 2004, a study was conducted on mice that suggested topical application 
of this drug was useful in treating seborrheic dermatitis accompanied by hair regression or male pattern hair loss. And then in 2014, another study was published, again, on mice, showing that ketoconazole could help regrow hair, but at the end of the day, minoxidil was more effective. So I don't know when you ask, like, how do people say, hey, let me put this monostat on my head and see if it works. I don't know if these studies have allowed people to say, hey, ketoconazole is an imidazole, and so is monostat. So maybe I'll just save some money, avoid the doctor trip, and who can't even write a prescription for that anyway, and just put monostat on my head. But people should know that these two drugs, ketoconazole and myconazole, while they are both imidazoles, they are two very different drugs. They have different chemical structures. They have their own prescribed use, their own margin of safety, their own side effects, which some of them are pretty scary for ketoconazole, which is why it's not widely used as some of the others. And I did find some patents where several of the azol drugs were patented for nail and hair growth, but those that doesn't mean that those work or they're safe. So Right. Just because something is patented doesn't really mean that it works. Yeah. I mean you have to show like kind of some proof, but like yeah, I've, yeah you that, know, not to, yeah. Yeah. Eh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a little dicey the proof <laughs> that I've seen it. So yeah. it doesn't take and that w- much proof. <laughs> and we'll go back over that when we talk about Olaplex. I'm oh, just yes. kidding. Again, <laughs> no right. opinions are affiliated with that of my employer. Um but anyway, um so I think that's sort of how it happened. Uh that's the best that I could piece it together. Um, but at the end of the day, any of the studies that were done have basically shown that whether it's ketoconazole or biconazole or, or any of the imidazole chemistries, minoxidil still outperformed everything in all of those studies. So if you are interested in hair growth, I would stick to what to, to what the FDA has approved, what has a known margin of safety, and that is minoxidil. Exactly. And, uh, Keep the monostat out of your hair, I guess. <laughs> and off your toes. <laughs> I guess we got time for one more. Let's do it. Hi, Perry and Valerie. This is Sydney. I'm from Florida. First of all, thank you so much for your show. It's so different, and I always learn something new every time, which is just great. So with that, my question for the day for you is about mineral oil. I was wondering if it's just a filler that does nothing if it is bad for the skin or if there are any benefits to it at all i've read a lot of mixed things online and i can't tell if it's good bad or if it just kind of does nothing and is a filler thank you so much love you guys thanks for this question sydney There is a lot of bad information on the internet about mineral oil, and it troubles me to see a perfectly good ingredient get so maligned. Mineral oil's great. I I just don't know why people hate it. Uh, You know, I have some some thoughts about that. But before answering uh, your specific questions, it would be helpful to talk a little bit about mineral oil and why it's what, what it is and why it's used in cosmetics. Mineral oil is a clear, colorless, and odorless liquid made up of long-chain hydrocarbons. It is similar to natural plant oils, which also have long-chain hydrocarbon, except that it's composed of molecules with longer hydrocarbon chains. So, for example, palm oil is made up of mostly hydrocarbons that are 16 carbon long. 
while mineral oil is made up of hydrocarbons that can be up to 50 carbons long. So the molecules are just a lot longer. Now, it's derived from the petroleum industry, which is probably why it gets such a bad reputation. Mm. All right, now to your, your question specifically. One of the questions was, is mineral oil a filler? Now, I see this claim about cosmetics ingredients all the time. Cosmetic chemists don't put fillers in their products. Mineral oil is not a filler. In fact, I don't think there are any fillers in cosmetics. Do you think of anything that would be a filler? No, I hear that all the time. And I'm like, well, A, why would I want to drive the cost of a formula up by putting nothing in it? Right. And two, like, what am I trying to fill? It, it, it just, I, I think filler is a term that comes from the food industry where they try to like bulk up a product. And maybe it makes sense there for texture and mouthfeel and stuff. But in the cosmetic industry, it, it does not make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't use fillers. It's, it's just people who don't know about cosmetic formulating use the term filler. And nobody certainly puts mineral oil into a formula just for fun or just to fill in the formula. Mineral oil is put in formulas for specific beneficial functions, which brings us to the next question. Does mineral oil do anything or, and are there any benefits to it at all? And as you might uh, assume from our uh, excitement about the ingredient, yes, mineral oil, <laughs> mineral oil does something. It, in fact, it does a few things in cosmetic products. In skin products, it is both an emollient, which means that it helps to soothe dry skin. It makes the skin feel nicer to touch, and it makes it look better. It maybe gives it a little shine. Additionally, it has occlusive characteristics, uh, which means that it can help lock in water into the skin surface, and that's going to help with moisturizing and making your skin feel better. And the reason companies use mineral oil in formulas is because it's highly effective at providing these benefits. In fact, there are almost no other ingredients that work better than mineral oil in terms of emolliency. And in hair products, it also works well as a conditioning agent and you'll find it in some sort of styling products, uh, the, the classic VO5 hairdressing. <laughs> One of the O5 or five oils was mineral oil because it works well for uh, spreading through your hair. Now, I should say people have sort of gotten away from using mineral oil for hair products because it can weigh down your hair a bit. Yes, using too much can weigh down your hair. But one of the things I want to point out that I think makes mineral oil or just proves that mineral oil is so good at protecting the skin and being an emollient is that it actually is monographed by the FDA as a skin protectant, meaning the FDA says if you use mineral oil at 50% to 100% in a formula, you can use um, a skin protectant claim. Or if you're only going to use 30 to 35% of mineral oil in combination with colloidal oatmeal, you can also make the skin protecting claim. So I think it just speaks to how good it is at protecting your skin. It is definitely proven to have benefits. Now, other reasons that companies use mineral oils because it's also consistent and pretty much inert, which means that it's not going to react with other chemicals in your formulas. Natural oils are not always consistent because their composition will depend on the growing condition or the harvesting conditions. And they also contain molecules that can oxidize, they might degrade, they might change the color of your formula or the odor, and they might otherwise spoil a perfectly fine formula. So while natural oils are the natural uh, replacement for mineral oils, uh, there are certainly some downsides to making that change. Then there was a final question was, is, uh, is mineral oil bad for skin? 
No, again, it's not bad for your skin. You'll see on the internet people claiming that mineral oil is comedogenic. It is not comedogenic. This has been proven over and over. It also is not going to clog your pores. You know, it's just a perfectly fine ingredient to use. M mineral oil also does not dry out the skin or cause premature aging, which, which I've seen that claim on there. Uh, again, it's a perfectly fine ingredient. Another thing is that mineral oil has been proven to be safe for skin. Claims of it being a carcinogen are just wrong. The mineral oil that we use in the cosmetic industry or the pharmaceutical industry is not a carcinogen. It is safe to use, and it's just really not something that you need to worry about. Yeah, when we look at purchasing ingredients like mineral oil, we buy certain grades. We're not just buying anything or, or from any company. There are certain specifications and requirements the mineral oil has to have or has to meet in order to be used in the cosmetic and pharmaceutical industries. So it's not full of crap. It's not a carcinogen. It's, right. it's safe to use. Right. It's a good ingredient. Now, mineral oil is derived from petroleum. So in that way, it's not really a sustainable ingredient. So I can understand someone wanting to avoid it for that reason. However, alternatives to mineral oil are not necessarily sustainable either. I'm looking at you, palm oil. <laughs> um, but as far as the environmental impact goes, it's a bit more complicated than you read on the internet of it just being bad versus some natural thing that's good. For sure. I I personally think that mineral oil gets a bad rap because lots of companies benefit from fear marketing. When a company can't make a product that would perform better than their competitors, often they're just going to try to scare competitors away from those products. So they'll say, they'll make up stuff about an ingredient like mineral oil that lots of people use. They'll avoid it and then say, oh, mineral oil is bad. And in that way, they scare consumers away from perfectly fine products. Of course, it's not true. It misleads consumers and it leads people to overpaying for products that might not even actually work better. So as far as I'm concerned, feel free to use mineral oil containing lotions to your heart's content. People who try to steer you away from mineral oil or make up claims about mineral oil, they're not doing that based on scientific evidence. And they're usually doing that to try to convince you to buy some overpriced product. Finally, I'd also add that I have no particular affinity for mineral oil. I mean, it's a fine ingredient, but if something worked better, I'd tell you to go use that. The reality is there are just not that many ingredients that work better for emolliency than mineral oil. Thanks, Perry. And thank you guys for the great questions today. That's all the time we have. Thanks for listening. Yeah, if you get a chance, you can go over to iTunes and leave us a review. That's going to help other people find the show and ensure we'll have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And speaking of beauty questions, if you have one, uh, why don't you just record it on your phone and send it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Also, follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at The Beauty Brains, and we have a Facebook page. The Beauty Brains are also on Patreon, and if you want to support the show, Patreon is the best way to do that. So if you want to keep us ad-free, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe there. Thanks again, everybody, and remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens!